What is up, everybody? This is Hunter Williams. Today is going to be episode 76 of the NeuroEdge podcast. I have a really cool and awesome guest today. His name is Tom Cronin. He's a meditation teacher. And I got to tell you, I've been listening to some of the other podcasts and some of the content he has been doing, and I was really amazed. So I am humbled and honored to have him here. Tom, how are you doing? Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for inviting me along today. It's, uh, you know, it's always good to be able to share space with a new fresh audience and connect in with them. Uh, I've been, uh, as well as teaching meditation, I do a lot of corporate gigs, speaking, uh, telling my story and helping uh, the staff of companies deal with stress and uh, work through, you know, the challenging times that we're currently in. I also run retreats and I do a lot of coaching for people, particularly uh, people in the transformational leadership space. Awesome. Yeah, I, I don't think I can agree more this time that everybody across the whole planet, I'm in here in the United States and you're in Australia, how stressed out everybody is. So I know along with myself and a lot of people I know, uh, this is definitely something that we can learn some serious lessons from today and kind of take forward and actually implement in our life. Um, but why don't you just give us a little bit of background? I know just from researching you and uh, learning a lot of your stuff, kind of your background in finance, which is cool because I also have a background in finance as well. Uh, so why don't you just kind of give your quick 30,000 foot level view of where you're from? Yeah, I was in finance for 26 years. I was a broker on a trading room floor, very much like, I guess, Wolf of Wall Street uh, depiction in that film. And, you know, that was really what my life was like in the first few years of that career as a massive trading room floor in the early uh, 90s, late 80s, actually. I started in 1987. And those years were, you know, it was crazy wild times in finance markets. So, you know, I was in that industry for quite a while. And the early years of that, I had a lot of stress. So I used meditation, turned to meditation to help me deal with stress. And it just became such a powerful tool for me that over time, uh, the longer I went down that rabbit hole of Eastern philosophy and exploring mindfulness, meditation and spirituality, it just became more and more apparent that the more I discovered, the more I found, the more I wanted to share. And it just became so compelling over time that I wanted to leave finance and I guess share what I'd discovered along the way. So that's when I started to coach and teach and run retreats. And I also produced a, a film called The Portal, which was encapsulating a lot of what I was discovering along the way and putting it into a movie. Awesome. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you too. So I was raised in a pretty spiritual household. And even though I probably went away from that a little bit in my life at one point, I'm definitely back on that track, at least just being more in touch with my spiritual side and kind of the side of connecting and being present with the present moment. Is that something that you always felt even when you were in finance before, or is it something that kind of, as you were going through that, you just felt pulled into? I guess it's a bit like you. Uh, it sounds very similar. You know, in the early years of my life, I had a really strong uh, upbringing in Catholicism. You know, we, we were very Irish Catholic type family. You know, we went to mass every week and we did the rosary and we did, you know, Lent and everything like that. And I prayed a lot to God. So I had a very strong sense of God's presence when I was a kid, but it was kind of wrapped up in a, a structure called religion, particularly Catholicism. Um, and then in my 20s, I kind of drifted a long way away from that. And I guess it was a different thing, but similar as well, because I started to get really into the whole drug culture that was nightclubs, raves, um, and that sort of whole losing myself in this 
to me, it was almost like a spiritual experience with the raves and the nightclubs and the music and the techno and, and, the, and the ecstasy. I was kind of almost having a spiritual experience, but I was doing it through an avenue that kind of had some fairly heavy karmic, uh, you know, debts to be paid off for it. And then after, you know, karma sort of paying a big price with that, you know, through a lot of anxiety and depression and it just, I just spiraled down and into a fairly dark place over the years. Then that's when I turned to meditation and spirituality. So I think it's kind of all part of the journey. It's just that we take sort of detours along the way, but we're really trying to seek and discover the same thing. Uh, and so when I started to meditate and transcend in meditation, I was like, oh, wow, like this is the, this is the deal. This is what I was looking for. And what I found was it didn't have the same karmic sort of consequences that the drugs and the drinking and the nightclubs um, were, were giving me. Yeah, that's, that's really fascinating too, because I heard, I can't remember if it was a podcast or a book I was reading, but it was talking about the work that you actually have to do. Like it's just as hard work as anything else to meditate and get to those states of mind. And then the drugs are kind of like a short circuit where you can put yourself there, but it might not be the best way and it's kind of like, uh, I don't know if you could like make an analogy to fitness or something. It's kind of like taking, trying to find the easy way to get there. But part of getting there is the journey of actually having to learn the skill set of meditation because it's as hard as work as anything else. And I know I'm by no means as experienced as you are, but trying to do it. Uh, when you find out how crazy your brain is, that's when the work really begins. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's different views around meditation and it does depend on the technique itself. And uh, I guess it's important to clarify, you know, because I don't want everyone to be running away from meditation thinking it's going to be a ton of hard work. There are some techniques that it is a fairly disciplined process. For me, the technique that I found is transcending meditation. Um, one of the emphasis on teaching that and, and, in, and learning to practice that meditation was that there's no work, there's no effort, there's no control, there's no force. And this was really one of the interesting, you know, principles that I found about it, that I loved about it was that it was really quite easy and it was really quite effortless. Um, it doesn't mean that every meditation is going to be a completely mind blowing Zen experience. But what I found with, with the, with the process was just to take it as it comes, just simply repeat the mantra and allow whatever unfolds to unfold, but have no expectation have no agenda, have no discipline, have no control, but just allow what naturally unfolds to unfold. And so it became a really enjoyable, blissful experience for me. And a lot of people used to say, gosh, you're so disciplined with your practice. But discipline implies doing something you don't want to do, but doing it because you think you should, like your training or your homework. But for me, it wasn't something that I didn't want to do. It was something that I did want to do. It was something that I actually look forward to each day because the endorphin release, the, the serotonin and oxytocin release that happened when I was in this state of non-control and letting go and surrender and ease that I started to just feel great. So, yeah, I just wanted to make sure that anyone listening doesn't suddenly think that it, it's got to be difficult. And if it's a practice that they're doing that isn't difficult, maybe they're doing it wrong. It's not actually the case. So it can be difficult if you're doing some really concentration meditations, some of those more monastic discipline type practices that, do require some work they do require some diligence and they do require you doing things that aren't necessarily the tendency or nature of the mind to do so um 
just do your research on different techniques because not all the techniques are the same. Right. That actually kind of leads me to something else I want to talk about is what is the chemical and biological state of our brain? I guess it's probably going to be a little bit different for everyone, but as opposed to our brain, maybe when we're working or stressed out, dealing with issues at work, things like that versus meditation, what is the, meditating brain look like chemically and biologically versus the brain when we're really stressed out? It's a great question. And I have to firstly say, I'm not a neuroscientist. I'm not a doctor. So, you know, I'll give you my best um, knowledge based upon what I've learned over the years, but not necessarily saying this is 100% true. Um, my first thought would be to say that the chemicals are released by the brain, but they flood into the body. So what we feel are biochemicals rushing through our body. All our feelings are biochemically induced as a result of a you know, transaction or a trigger that's happening in the brain that releases these biochemicals into our body. So there's brain functionality and brain, brain wave frequencies that happen during the meditation. Then there's the biochemicals that are released into the body as a result of meditation. So when we're in a stressed state, that is a stressed response, that sympathetic nervous system, the biochemistry in the body will be more cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine. And these are sort of biochemicals that enable us to move quickly and aggressively and to you know, get out of trouble if we need to or, or go into battle if we need to. However, when we get activated into what's called the parasympathetic nervous system state or the P state, which happens when we're meditating, is there's a very different biochemistry that happens very, very quickly, actually. Quite phenomenal to see how quickly this biochemistry can change in the body when we start meditating. And I'll give you an example in a moment. But what will happen is that we'll see, uh, we'll see the reduction of cortisol, adrenaline, norepinephrine, and we'll see an increase in, uh, in serotonin. We'll see an increase in oxytocin. Serotonin keeps you happy. Oxytocin uh, activates the love sensation and melatonin activates sleep. So I'll be in a large auditorium. Uh, this was only uh, not long ago, uh, pre-COVID, obviously. I was in a large auditorium for one of the leading company in Australia, and there was 400 staff in that auditorium. And uh, I took them through a 10-minute guided meditation. And I said to that audience, it was like 11 in the morning, bright lights, air conditioning. I said, you know, at least half of you will start to fall asleep within five minutes of me taking you through this guided meditation. And they were like, yeah, ziff, there's no way. And within five minutes, I could see all the heads starting to nod down and then dropping <laughs> into sleep in their meditation. And that's simply because they were quite quickly being moved out of the sympathetic nervous system and into the parasympathetic nervous system where that biochemical of melatonin starts to get released into the body. Now, you can't have melatonin and cortisol being pumped into the system at the same time. So we see the brain start to change from an uh, beta brainwave frequency, which is a sort of agitated sort of thinking state to a delta frequency, which is a very deep state of restfulness. Now, when the brain gets into delta brainwave frequency, what happens is that changes the biochemistry in the body and all of the biochemistry starts to change after the brain changes its frequency. So the first point of call is to get the brain to get out of beta brainwave frequency into the delta brainwave frequency that then triggers a biochemical release in the body, which is a reduction of cortisol and adrenaline and an increase in serotonin, oxytocin and melatonin. So we'll start to see these biochemicals uh, start to change in the body. Yeah. 
that's funny about the people in the audience, especially the biggest skeptics were probably the ones that were yeah. the first cut off. But I was going to ask too, is there any sort of environment or anything that kind of primes your body to have a better meditation state? And then as far as timing, you said that was 11 o'clock in the morning. It's probably best to just make sure you're doing it, but is there a better time of the day as far as our brain frequencies go that you can easier, it's easier to tap into? Yeah, there's definitely times in the day when you'll find it easier to drop into a still state than other times of day. So, and it's not for everyone. It's quite generalized here, um, but it can vary from person to person. But what we tend to find as a whole is that when we meditate in the morning, the brain's quite active. It's been sleeping all night. The body's been resting all night. And there's a level of, you know, a lot of people might find they wake up in the morning and they're kind of like, maybe even have a little bit of cortisol in their body, that little bit of uh, almost anxiety when they wake up and that's the body priming itself to go into action, to go and sow the fields and milk the cow and collect the firewood and collect the eggs and, you know, uh, chop wood. So there's this natural inclination when we wake up from tribal days that you had to get up and be in action. Um, these days we're so tired and exhausted. We wake up and then we go and get a double shot macchiato or long black, you know, which is double dosing on what already should be a cortisol act, you know, activation in the body. Um, so that time in the morning, it is a beautiful time to meditate and a really important time to sort of stabilize a level of stillness and get that foundation of our day built. Uh, but what I tend to find with most students, myself included, around three, four, five in the afternoon as the mind and body starting to fatigue, it's a really nice time to drop into a meditation experience. And we tend to find people that meditate in the afternoons go quite deep. Uh, and it's just, you know, a lot of people are getting that circadian dip in the day and they start going to get their uh, coffees or their cans of V or their, you know, their chocolate bars because they kind of need that lift to get them through that sort of fatiguing bit. And that's a really good time to meditate. You'll drop in quite easily. Yeah. One thing you said on one of your podcasts, I don't remember who it was with, but you said you will do sometimes a quick session before your dinner in the evening and how much better that kind of makes your dinner. And I was wondering, do you feel like you digest food better and kind of get into the parasympathetic nervous system as you're getting closer to going to bed when you do that? Um, that's been something I've been trying to do is not eat in a stressed state all the time. So not be really stressed out when I'm eating because I know I don't get the digestive enzyme production that I need when I'm doing that. You find that helps a lot with your digestion and then just also kind of winding down for the day. Yeah. It's fascinating when you start getting an audience to meditate and uh, you'll start hearing all these tum tummies start rumbling uh, because what happens is most of us, when we're in stress state, and that's pretty much most of the day for a lot of society these days is that that sympathetic nervous system state is your body preparing to go to battle your body preparing to run from a saber-tooth tiger. And if you're going into battle or running from a saber-tooth tiger, then your body knows it's not the time to be eating. And so what it does is you'll get this dry mouth and you'll get a drying up of your gastric juices that are there to actually break down food. That's the whole point of why we get hungry. We'll get this sort of activation in our glands, which is the release of gastric juices and the mouth-watering. You know, people say, oh, mouth-watering food meaning that your, your body is preempting a meal coming into the system so that it's preparing to break it down with that saliva and those gastric juices. 
However, when we're going into battle or into war or into uh, running from a saber-toothed tiger, we get this drying up of our mouth. And that's because the body's saying, well, now ain't the time to be eating, buddy. You're about to go into battle. There's no time to be having a nice, quiet meal with your family. And so meditation at the end of the day helps just de-excite the nervous system, calm the mind and the body down, get you out of the sympathetic and into the parasympathetic nervous system and start to prepare you for this beautiful meal. And you'll find that your appetite will start to pick up as a result of being calmer. Yeah. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is um, kind of with everybody being in a stress state, what, so it seems like, and this is just my research and everything that our biology doesn't necessarily mesh with a lot of the roles that we have in society today. So the different jobs that we're doing and everything, and how can meditation, maybe, I mean, I don't think the economy and people's jobs are going to change anytime soon. It's probably going to get much more on the side of being integrated with technology and everything. But how can meditation kind of be a weapon as we move into more of an information age, industrialized age, where we have these biological vehicles that are really meant, like you said, to be kind of in a setting where we have the morning where we're doing stuff and it's, it's a little bit more natural versus what a lot of people in the first world are experiencing today. Gosh, what a question. It's a cracker. Um... Well, one of the great benefits of meditation is that we get very intuitive to the needs of the body. What tends to happen most of the time, and this was definitely the case for me, is that there's a mind which is an ego and it just drives us with its own operating system, which is deeply coded and programmed by our society and by our genetics. And, and we do things that aren't necessarily true for the body and right for the body. So one thing that happens when we start to quiet down that operating system and uh, we get this fine tuning and fine level of intuition within the body that allows us to really pick up what the body's needs are. So for me, you know, during the day, I'll feel like, gosh, my body's really saying to stretch or my body's really saying to go for a walk. My body's really saying to go to the gym. My body's like today, my body's really craving a yin yoga class. So this afternoon, I'm looking at the timetables and I'll be booking in for a yin yoga class. So, um, you know, my body will tune in to what type of foods it wants to eat to. And I can really listen to what the body's needs are as opposed to just having this noisy mind that's driving it, driving it. So first, it allows us to sort of listen to what our body needs and to make sure that we don't miss out on things that the body needs based on what our employment situation is. But you're right, it is a very fascinating time and we're going into a fascinating time ahead where we can't really see too far ahead because it, it's just, you know, how much of AI is going to be taking over our jobs and stuff like that. So a lot of it's going to be about being creative, being adaptable and being able to like in a keto flow and move with these fluctuations that are coming into our life and always look at how can we move towards our heart's highest happiness. And we're really not in a coded state to think about moving towards what brings us joy? What brings us, um, you know, uh, levels of delight? What brings us a level of ecstasy to some degree, you know, and making sure that we get this really nice balance in the way we live our lives. We're so deeply coded that it's got to be difficult. And it's got to be hard and we're up against the wall. We've got to kind of constantly struggle and strive. And there's a different, there's definitely a different model and we don't have to subscribe to that model. It is possible to live much more balanced and harmonious existence. Yeah. 
Absolutely. I 100% agree with that. Um, you've worked with thousands of people. Is there anything, I guess everybody's going to be different. Is there anything that you would see is like one or two main problems that people struggle with in terms of getting into meditation? Is there like an adjustment period that they have to come over or is it just going to be different for everybody? I think the biggest struggle is two things. One is time, you know, and it's not that we don't have the time. It's just that we don't have the preference to allocate that time to not being productive as far as what we think is productive. We think productive is getting shit done and getting stuff done is, is fruitful and it is productive. However, it's from what state are we getting things done? It's not what we do. It's what vibe we're in while we do it. And if we're getting a lot of things done, but we're miserable, then you've got to ask what's the point of getting things done. So it always comes back to, it's not that you have a time problem. It's that you have a, a preference problem. Your priorities and your preferences are a little bit out of whack and you're prioritizing being unhealthy and unhappy over being healthy and happy. And this is a really fascinating phenomenon that we see across the world in a big way. So what we need to do is prioritize being healthy and happy and then letting everything else flow from that, our productivity flow from that. The second thing that uh, I see is a big problem with meditators getting caught up in is that the idea that a good meditation is where there's no thoughts and a bad meditation is when there's thoughts. And that's actually not the case. Um, meditation is not about whether there's thoughts or not. It's about being in a process. And sometimes thoughts in meditation can act, actually indicate that there's a, a lot of change happening. There's a lot of shift happening. Um, there is a physiology that plays out while we're meditating. And that physiology is going to have lots of changes going on in it whilst you're meditating. And those changes can stimulate levels of neurological activity and create more thoughts in the mind. So thoughts in the mind during meditation is actually cool. It's actually can be part of the process. Yeah. And what I've noticed too, is when I do, and I haven't been as good lately about it, but it's almost like you get to the point where you detach yourself from your thoughts. And then you realize that you have the mind and that the thoughts coming in. And then you can see those as more of like a third party neutral observer, which for me has been really powerful. And along with journaling, I'm a big proponent of journaling is being able to get that out of your head and get it somewhere. And then you, I don't want to say can control it, but then you understand that that's detached from you and that it isn't who you are as a person. It's just thoughts that came into your head and then you can process that better and then go forward from however you want to change it or change your reality around you. Um, that's something that I didn't even think about until you said that, but it's really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we call uh, this Vasanas, V-A-S-A-N-A-S. Vasanas is tendencies of the mind as a pattern of thinking. And if we were to get an Excel spreadsheet and audit all your thoughts on a daily basis, you'll start to see a pattern. If they had some ability to cross check all those thoughts day after day after day, you'll see a tendency of the way you, you happen to think. And what meditation does allows us to be a conscious observer of the thinking process. So we have two things now. Most people there's thinking and they is Descartes, the French philosopher said, I think therefore I am. Whereas as a meditator says, I am, and I think, and I'm going to, from my amnes, from my consciousness, watch the thinking process and start to question and analyze whether that thinking process is really the, the, the thinking process that I want to have. Maybe there's a way for me to upgrade that thinking process and adapt it and change it so that it becomes a little bit more effective in my life. 
and, uh, and, and it's a little bit more uh, beneficial to me moving towards the highest happiness and uh, health. Right. To change gears a little bit, I did want to ask you about this because I heard you talk about some other podcasts and it's something that I think about all the time. Um, as far as social media goes and best practices, so I am not someone, I'm not a huge fan of social media per se, but I also have a podcast and YouTube channel and all these things. And I wouldn't be able to connect with awesome people like you and then also connect with other people and kind of learn all these things that I wouldn't have been able to learn otherwise and maybe have taken me years and years to have to find in a book somewhere. Um, so do you have any best practices or recommendations about how to use social media as a tool? Because I know, and I try to be very conscious of it, the more time that I spend on social media without a purpose, without going to something to try to learn, and actually, whether it's to influence myself with positive thinking or learn something, um, if I'm giving my time away uh, freely to it, I feel worse about myself. And I try to track that and notice that. Do you have any recommendations for best practices and how to use it to our advantage rather than triggering the cortisol and everything that a lot of people get from, I think, how we use it today? Yeah, such polarity with social media. You know, there's so many benefits that come from social media and so many negatives that come with social media as well. And it's going to be a process of discernment for the audience as to how they use it. Uh, there's a beautiful Sanskrit phrase, yad babam tat bhavati, which means what we think we become. And our thoughts create our reality. And if we're engaging in social media, then the thought is what we're engaging in. And that thought will be someone else's thought because they're the one that typed it or wrote it. And so everything that we're looking at, everything that we're reading has a particular frequency vibration to it that's sort of transmuting into our own experience. And that's determining what we start attracting in the world. So social media is a great platform for, or great platforms, plural, for the spreading of, you know, high level conscious content. You know, it's really powerful to, it's really one of the most powerful tools in the evolution of humanity right now. It's really allowing a mass um, process of evolution, but it's also part of a major problem for humanity as well. So it's about a matter of really being discerning with how you're using it um, and how mindful you are while you're using it. Um, I would certainly be blocking out time for it and not getting trapped into long spells of scrolling and scrolling and um, you know, looking at little sound bites and little tiny bits of information and moving on, moving on. Uh, it's really having a very detrimental contraction process on our brain functionality where our concentration spans are getting reduced and reduced and reduced because everything's getting shorter and shorter. You know, we got it TikTok down to 15 seconds now. So, you know, our ability to sit through a 90 minute movie is just almost it's impossible these days because we're just so unconditioned into being able to be present with something for long enough periods of time. So social media is about being very discerning and being very mindful of whether you're using it or it's using you. That's all it comes down to. If you're disempowered, you get overpowered. And that's what happens to people that are disempowered on social media. They're overpowered by it and it starts to ruin their life. Yeah. One thing that popped in my head when you just said that, do you practice yoga or any sort of physical movement that you feel helps with meditation or is also kind of an alternative form? Cause I practice yours. I probably do three or four times a week, but I know after doing that, the, 
for me, and I'm someone that's really active and loves sports and everything, getting into my body in that way almost primes me to be able to be more present. Do you do anything like that to help with meditation? Or is it- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, we, we've got a physical carcass here that we're going to lug around for 80, 90, 120 years or so. So, you know, we really want to make sure that that physical apparatus, which is really just a, a vehicle, it's a device that we're going to use to exist on planet earth. We want to make sure that that apparatus is in such optimal state, you know, really want to look after it. So, for me, I go to the gym three times a week. I do yoga three times a week. Uh, I do saunas and sweats. I do swimming, surfing, running. Uh, I try to run, you know, just for even just 20 minutes, usually most mornings, just to get the blood circulating. And this is all part of an overarching strategy for me to be the optimal human being. So I'm looking at my software, which is my mind. I'm looking at my spiritual practice, looking at my physical practice, looking at my diet, looking at my supplements. Uh, really, you know, there's all the information we have out in the world for us to live a fairly optimal, healthy, happy, and successful existence. It's just that for a lot of us, and myself included, you know, for many years, um, we're just not uh, really being that proactive about it. We're kind of just being reactive, which is just life throwing us around like a cork in the ocean. And we're kind of hoping things work out, and it doesn't have to be that way. But when we start to be a little bit more directive with the life we're living and look at things at a very holistic level, then we start to find that we're healthy, we're happy, we have more dynamic sort of experiences in life, more success, and uh, life's just generally better overall. Yeah, I couldn't have said that better of myself. That's something I think about all the time and you just encapsulated the best way to say it. Kind of as we're getting closer to the end uh, I want to know if you have kind of a daily routine that you found works best for you and just studying a lot of really successful people. I find that um, although not set in stone, they do have some sort of practice, whether it be spiritual, anything like that, that you feel works for you. And I know everybody's going to be different. Um, do you have anything that you do special? Yeah. I mean, it does vary a little bit day to day. Uh, I do tend to get up quite early. Um, this morning was four o'clock uh, and I did probably about an hour of stretching and stillness. So that's just, you know, in the nighttime when it's dark, I like the early morning to, I do some, some long hold poses uh, in the morning, nothing too strenuous. Um, I do like starting my day with sun salutation, but today was just some sort of long hold gentle yin poses. Uh, and then I'll do some stillness. I do like some journaling or some mapping out of my mind. I do like to get up and go for a run as well. If it's like, if I'm getting up and it's a bit later in the day, I don't like to run at four in the morning, but uh I do like to start my day with a 20 minute jog just to sort of get some sweat up and get the body moving around. Nothing too major. I'm not a massive sort of hardcore um, workout type guy, but I, some sort of physical activity in the morning I quite like. Uh, and then, yeah, just getting into after my meditation, a really healthy breakfast and get the day going from there. Awesome. Well, can you tell us a little bit more just about what the stillness project is and then if people also want to check out the portal, what that's about and uh, how they can connect with you and just learn more about what you're doing. Yeah. Thanks, man. Um, so the stillness project, I have two projects that are sort of working side by side and one is the stillness project, which our goal there is to inspire a billion people to meditate daily. And that's really just, you know, um, sort of a movement that we're kind of slowly building over time. But the portal kind of was an extraction from that or I guess a, 
uh, grew off, off, off that stillness project, which was a movie, a book, a film and a soundtrack, sorry, a movie, a book, a masterclass and uh, an app to um, inspire people and show them how meditation is a powerful tool to help us get through crisis. And we filmed six individual stories that all had crisis. We filmed them all around the world and they moved through that crisis using mindfulness and meditation and why mindfulness and meditation are really powerful tool to help us get through this crisis that we're in. Cause what we're lacking here on the planet is a state of consciousness. We're stuck in a sort of recurring loop of, you know, thought forms that just keep, you know, keeping us in a recurring known. And we need to break out of that status quo and into a new paradigm. And so meditation really helps us do that. And so the portal film, they can find it at entertheportal.com. And there's a trailer there and a book and the app. And um, we'll be digitally releasing that on some platforms very soon. We're just sort of working on some contracts and hopefully that'll come out pretty soon. Awesome. Well, I know I am going to be checking it out for sure. I'm really glad we got a chance to connect. And like I said, when I started listening to some of the other podcasts you were on, I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. Super authentic. And then also just extremely well-versed in this whole thing. And then also I think a good example too, because I think a lot of times people get caught up being really busy with their jobs and things like that. And uh, you live that as well. And then also live out the stillness side of things too, which I think everybody can take a lesson from. So I really appreciate you coming on Tom. And uh, as far as reaching out to you, what's the best platform or place people can go to find you? Probably Instagram would be the best. Uh, find me at Tom Cronin and on my website, tomcronin.com. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'm going to put the links to that in the show notes and everything. Um, but guys definitely check him out. His stuff. Again, I said, check it out. It's awesome. So you got to go over, uh, look at it and then uh, definitely look at some of the courses and programs he has. Um, they look awesome. So I appreciate it, Tom. And uh, any Thanks, man. for the audience. Uh, look, you know, it's a challenging time that we're in at the moment. And I know a lot of people are really struggling. Uh, they're feeling possibly even a little bit hopeless. And so one thing I'd like to finish off with is that there's only evolution and sometimes in the process of evolving and getting through to a new paradigm, a new way of living, a new way of looking at things, we might have to go through a fairly challenging window of time. Just like uh, I referenced in a video the other day, I put out about my next door neighbor who's currently renovating. And in the middle of that renovation, things were a lot worse than what they were before that house actually went into renovation. But things are gonna be a whole lot better after the renovation as well. But if we weren't able to see beyond the horizon of that renovation, we'd be just looking at the renovation, we'd be going, this is terrible, this is horrible, this is like throw the hands up in the air and give up. Uh, but because we know that that is the process that it has to go through to get to a better experience, we have to rip out the kitchen, we have to rip out the floorboards, we have to rip out the curtains, that in that destructive process, something truly magical is getting built. And so, if you're struggling and you're in a difficult time, look beyond that. What is better than your current situation? Start to meditate, start to access the field of infinite possibility. All the creative solutions lie within that field of possibility to be the solution to what your current problem is. And you'll find there's a way to get beyond this. There's no question about it. Awesome. I couldn't have said that for myself. That was amazing. I appreciate it, Tom. And uh, definitely guys, go check them out. All right. We will Thanks see you time. <laughs>